0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask your guiding, your leading. Help us to understand what you would like us to learn. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Jeremiah 16, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, You shall not take a wife, neither shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and concerning their mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that begat them in this land. They shall lie down in grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented, neither shall they be buried. But they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. And their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beast of the earth. For thus saith the Lord, enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to the lament nor bemoan them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord even loving kindness and mercies both the great and the small shall die in this land and they shall not be buried neither shall men lament for them nor cut themselves nor make themselves bald for them neither shall men tear the, themselves for for them in in mourning to comfort them for the de, for the dead neither shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their fathers and for their mothers you shall not also go into the house of feasting, or sit with them to eat and to drink. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. We're going to stop there. (laughs) Uh, This is given a very rough picture of what's coming. So God is speaking to Jeremiah and the first thing he says, Jeremiah, you're not going to take a wife. Now, that would be hard enough in that, in that statement. But then he's going on to make it. What Jeremiah is being used for is a picture of what's happening to Israel. And so he says, you can't have a wife and you're not going to have any children. Now This is a pretty interesting statement. You know, Jeremiah has been preaching. He's going to live all the way to the end of the kingdom. And he's not going to have any descendants. And that was God's command, don't do this. Now, God doesn't tell all of his children not to get married, you know, thankfully. <laughs> but he does tell certain ones not to get married over their, over their times. And this is for Jeremiah, and he's going to give the reason. And he says, for thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and the mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that begat them in this land. So he's including everybody, all the families. Because this is the word to the families of this land. Now, we've seen over and over in the various scriptures, the judgment of God usually falls on the kings and their people and the priest with the people kind of going back and forth between what's right and what's wrong. But here, God has finally had enough. And we're going to see how quickly this moves when when God makes his move, things change quickly. And Jeremiah is gonna live all the way till the, the captivity of the children of Israel. And he's not going to be sent into captivity. The king's gonna tell him, well, you've been preaching, somehow he knows what's going on. Um, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing. The king seems to know what's going on inside the city of Jerusalem while it's being under, under siege. <laughs> And, you know, we think about spies and everything. And these spies have been around forever. And he has his spies in there knowing what's going on. He knows that Jeremiah has preached the message that he was going to conquer them. And he's going to let Jeremiah stay in Jerusalem when he leaves. And so this is what God is saying to them. Verse 4, they shall die of grievous deaths. Now this word for grievous means diseased and sickness. So they're going, to, they're going to die from sicknesses. Now part of this is going to be when you're holed up in your city for a long period of time. Diseases run rampant. You can't get rid of the trash. You can't get rid of the refuse. And diseases run rampant. And because God's judging them, there will be even more diseases. And this is something I'm expecting to happen more and more in our world. Is that God is going to send diseases that we can't seem to conquer. You know the first big one that I can remember was AIDS. AIDS was going to destroy the world. You know now COVID was going to destroy the world. Uh, now it's monkeypox for some reason, even though it's a very small population that doesn't die from it. Uh, but there's going to be more diseases because God is going to start with diseases, showing man that he is not as smart as he thinks he is. Here's a disease that's going to kill lots of people. And let's see if you can figure it out. Are you smart enough to to solve this? And we're gonna see more and more of these diseases coming across. And COVID was just our most recent one. And I don't care whether it was man-made or, or God-made, it doesn't matter to me, it was, still did a lot of damage, you know, or relatively a lot of damage. You know, about 1% of the population of the world died. But there will be other diseases that come along that are going to be hard and God says, disease was going to be the first thing that they were going to be facing in Jerusalem and that land and he goes you, and they shall not be lamented for neither shall they be buried you know, so this is going to be interesting they're going to be dying so fast that nobody can get rid of them especially when you're inside the city there's only so much land, land space for burying people in the first place and, and most cities don't have that space to be able to bury them so, and when they're surrounded, they can't take them outside the city. So there's they're not gonna be very, but even worse, they're not gonna be lamented. And this is something that is really hard because I understand even though as a Christian, I'm looking forward to dying and I celebrate the death of somebody going home, there is a sadness. That person is no longer in your presence. Yes, they've gone home and we sh- and I think we should celebrate and have a good time. But there is an element where we will miss that person, especially if they have, you know, they've been a teacher or a leader of some sort, they will be missed. And, you know, I've told, I've told my family, when I die, I want you to have a party. I want joyful music, uh, you know, some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away, those type of songs. Uh, I went home, you know, went homeward bound, you know, I want, I want a celebration. I don't want sadness. Now I hope people are gonna miss me, but at the same token I went home. And so this is the key on his he says there's not a lament. When you before the king. Is the king in the city or is he outside of the city, which is not like spies and stuff? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is outside the city. Oh, okay. Okay. But somehow when he takes over the land, he knows what's been going on inside the city. Oh, that's what I thought, that he was outside yeah, he's outside the, the city. Yeah, but when the city is conquered he knows what's been going on inside the city and, and the thing about that is they don't have radios to broadcast out so i don't know how he gets all those messages uh, to know what's going on but he does know what has been going on inside the city and you know this is not ab- abnormal if you've studied any history or everything it seems like everybody always knows what the enemy is doing and uh, it's, it's the and if you have spies and they have spies you know investigating you as well and so this is what went on in there, uh, so he says, "You will not be lamented, you shall not be buried, but you shall be as dung upon the face of the earth." Now that's quite a vivid <laughs> description. Uh, you know that dung has been left and not not been buried and gotten rid of, and just makes a messy messy thing and causes causes disease, which is even going to make it worse, and then he goes. They shall be consumed. Now, now, besides the disease, they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. So, not just diseases, but battles and wars. And they're going to starve to death. Now, I think I'd rather die by, by sword if I'm going to have to die. You know, I don't want to die by famine. I don't want to die by disease. If I'm going to have to die, let's make it a sword and make it real quick. Get it over with. But he says, so here we have three different ways they're going to die. And this has been presented oftentimes in, by our prophets. You're going to desire, die by disease, by famine, and by, by the sword. And then oftentimes by beasts. You know, they throw in a fourth one. Uh, and then it says, And they shall be consumed by the sword and the famine, and their carcasses will be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beast of the earth. They're not going to be buried, but the animals are going to feast. And this actually does happen. If you go to a battle site where somebody hasn't been buried, when the bodies haven't been buried, you will see the carrion birds all over, the, all over especially we see them anyway with vultures all around us. But you'll see the coyotes and the, all the animals that are, that are um, scavengers will go out in those fields. And God is saying, this is what's going to happen to them. There's going to be so much of, so much of you and you're going to die so quickly the people aren't going to be there to bury and a kind of the same picture of the battle of armageddon the last battle that jesus returns it says that it takes them months to bury all the bodies because of how many people die so quickly when god speaks and the, even there it says the birds have gathered and they have their feast but they can only eat so many bodies when there's millions of bodies laying on the ground. They can't go around eating all the bodies even, even at that. And it says it's gonna take them a long, long time to, to bury. And probably their burial will be just opening up pits and push them into, into the pits. Um, but here he says, all of this is gonna happen and the animals are gonna have a feast. Now, this is kind of sad, it's kind of harsh but it also shows how upset God is. So many of you are going to die. Nobody's going to care that there's so many itch to death. The, the animals are going to have a feast. You're not going to be able to b- bury everybody. And, you know, I've never seen this, but I have heard of battlefields where people just, you can't lament anymore because you don't have it in you. So many people have died. So many family members have died that there's not even a lamenting left on it because this is what, how bad things are. And many of the Jews had this situation when they would hear that their families had been murdered in the concentration camps. They would go, they just lost all uh, caring at that point because it had happened so much. You do, you turn numb. You know, when you've had 20 people in your family die and friends die, there is a numbness that happens to you. And you almost, this is part of the problem as we get older and older and we start knowing more people who are dead than... You know, friends that are dead than are alive. We start getting numb toward, and even, God, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm tired of so many people dying, and I want to, to go. And that's kind of where they were at at this point. There's there would be so much death that they're just going, huh, let me be next. I don't want to suffer anymore. And this is this is the where they're at with all of this. And now God goes even further and he says, For thus saith the Lord: Enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament and be. nor bemoan for them. So he tells Jeremiah, even if you have friends and want to be sorry for them, you do not go into their homes and lament. And this is kind of, it sounds so harsh, but it's the same thing that Aaron was told when Nadab and Abihu were burnt with fire for not doing the right thing with God. God told him, you do not mourn for your, your boys. They were wrong, they were misbehaving, they did not do things the way I have. And if you are mourning for them, you are showing people that you are more concerned with your children than what is right. And so this is where Jeremiah is hearing the same thing. Do not go into the homes of these people that are misbehaving and, and disobeying and make it look like it's okay with God that they were, that they were misbehaving And what he's telling them is their death was just and don't go out and mourn for them. Now, this is going to be hard, especially if it's somebody he knows really well. You know, don't go into their homes because the guy says, For I have taken my peace from this people, even loving kindness and mercy. Now, we've talked about this in several times. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. That is their greeting. Even to this day in, in Israel when they're speaking in their language, they will say shalom. And the word literally does mean peace. It means nat- national peace, physical peace, spiritual peace. It's a very encompassing word that really means just about everything. You know, have a good day. You know, It encompasses every greeting that you could possibly think of and say shalom, peace to you national peace, you know, spiritual peace, peace in your emotions. It's a very powerful word. And God says, I have taken my peace from you. Not just national peace because they're going to be conquered, but all the peace that comes with spiritual and emotional peace. This is the greatest thing for us as Christians. God promises us that we have a peace that passes understanding that even when we might think that all hell is broken loose in our life. We know that God is in charge, and we can still stay peaceful in the midst of it. Uh, and this is, God is telling them, it says, I've taken my peace away. I am not giving them any comfort in all that's going on. And as a matter of fact, I have no loving kindness and mercy for them. No mercy, no grace for them. He is at the end of the rope and he's tired of everything that they have done. I hope that I never see God get that way with our nation. Unfortunately, I think he's getting close to that point on our nation. And the problem is once we get that place, the righteous will suffer as much as the unrighteous. And I don't know what the ratio is to keep it from from toppling over. Uh, Abraham went down to 50 and said, if there's 50, you know, Uh, 10. He went down to 10, and God said, I'll I'll save him for 10, and there wasn't even 10 righteous people in the entire town of of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, What is the ratio? I don't think there's a hardcore ratio, but you can see that God is willing to protect for a handful of righteous. And I don't know when America is going to drop below that handful of righteousness, righteous people, and judgment will fall. I think it's awfully close. I'm watching what's happening in our country and going, God, this is unbelievable what's going on. How much people don't care for God and his ways. And I'm not even talking about democracy and all that other stuff. I'm, I'm sad to see that stuff go, but I am sad to see the walking away from God's standards that are going on out there. And people calling what they're, what they're trying to do good. And saying, well, you all have to just accept this because this is good. And if you don't agree with it, you're bad. And we read the Bible and go, isn't that what God said was gonna be done? That good would be called bad and bad would be called good. And then if you are somebody who stands up for God, you're gonna be called bad and you're gonna be the enemy of the state. And we look at all this and Jeremiah's told, don't go in there, do not make them feel like God is on their side. He goes, because I am not on their side. Because he, re- he was a prophet. He represented God. As much as the people didn't wanna hear God, Whatever he did, he tacitly approved of it. So if he goes into their houses and mourns with them, he's giving the tacit approval that God is on your side and he is sad that the judgment has fallen. And this is something we as Christians have to be careful of. What do we show people by our actions? When people are doing wrong and God brings judgment and we go, well, I'm really sorry that that happened to them, what are we saying? God was, God was outside of His rights to be able to judge you for that action. We need to be very careful., yeah, you want to be careful how you do that too. <laughs> the, the key to all of this is speak the truth in love. You know, and that is tough. It is tough when they go, you know, you know, God, God said this was coming." you, know, you, you know, and this is why I always hammer on. There are consequences for actions. And we tell them at the prison all the time, when you do something wrong, there is a consequence for your action. When you don't show up to class like you're supposed to and you get ridden up and, and they take away privileges, that's the consequence for you not doing what you were told. And we have to do it nicely. We have to do it in love. Now, I know many Christians, they just get, ah, you're getting what you deserve. You, know, you really deserve this. You know, we don't want to go quite that far. But, there is this point where God said this was coming. Do you not want it to come in the future? Repent and turn to Him, because the consequences will continue to come. And we, you know, there's a difference, and I've you know, mentioned this before. You know, there's an old joke about two pastors trying to get a, preach, you know, get a job at a church, and they both preached on hell. And the one guy got it, and the other guy who didn't get it goes, well, why didn't I get it? We, we use the same message, the same. He goes, when you spoke, you sounded like you wanted them to go to hell. When he spoke, it sounded like he didn't want them to go to hell. But do you understand what I'm saying on that? There, there's a way to say things that can be very hard to understand and very hard for people to care about, but you can say it in such a way that says, I don't want this to happen to you. And that's basically in this case, is being told, don't go into the house of mourning. My peace has been taken away. If you're going there, you're basically telling them God's okay with what's going on. And it's a hard place to be. I, I think it's hard for Jeremiah to have to handle. He's got family and friends that are dying. He wants to go mourn for them. They, they're, they've been, they're no longer there. And he's being told, no, you can't go in there because you represent me and I'm not, and, they, and I'm bringing this punishment upon them and I can't be looked at as if I'm doing wrong in their punishment. And this is something that is very hard to understand then in verse 6, he says, both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be married, buried, neither shall they lament, shall men lament for them, nor cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. So now he's saying this death is going to hit the great and the small. And this is something that somehow when people are famous and rich and all this, somehow they think they're above all the other rules for people at times. They get to a place where they feel like I'm entitled to do what I want because I've got money, power, prestige, you know, so that gives me the, the right to do whatever I want. And God says, I don't care whether you're great or small, you're going to die, and nobody's going to lament you. And this is probably going to hit the, 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 the great more than the small. Than the small. You know, they expect everybody to care that they die. What do you mean nobody cares that I died? I've got all this money. I've been building buildings. I've been I've been the captain of industry. What you know? I've been the, the great sports legend, the singer, the actor, whatever it might be. Everybody cares and knows me. So why won't they lament me? And God says, it's, the, the death is going to be so great that nobody's going to care how important they think they are, because death is so high. And this will be what happens in the tribulation period. We've talked about this. I've calculated through the various ten, you know quarter here, third here, 66 percent of the population of the world will die in seven years. That's a lot of death. People are going to get to the place where they just don't care about death anymore. Because, you know, two out of every three people are dead and you're going to, there is no way you're not going to know a number of people that have died. And so death will start to mean nothing. You know, yes, at first, everybody's going to care when a quarter of the people die here and a third die here. But after a while, there'll be so much death that people become numb to it. And that's what even what happened in the concentration camps of Hitler. People got numb to the death of people going in because so many people were being killed every single day that all they were looking for is, am I going to be next or will I get to go out the gate? And that was their only hope. Maybe I get to go out the gate. You know, all my family's dead. You know, my friends are dead. Maybe I'll get to go out the gate. And so there was a numbness to, to, the, to the whole process. And this is what Jeremiah is being told great, small, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to lament them. They won't cut for themselves, which means to uh, gather the garments and, pull and tear them. Nor will they make themselves bald. Now, this one's kind of an interesting. Statement because this was not something that the Jewish people were supposed to do. They were never supposed to pull out their beard or cut their beards. And God told them not to do this. This was a way that the Gentiles that they, in the land that they conquered would mourn. They would cut themselves. They would cut their beards. They would fashion their hair into designs for the gods and everything. And God told them not to do that. But it also shows how far removed from God the children of Israel are, because they're doing the things that God told them not to do. And remember, in Second Chronicles, we were talking, Jeremiah, uh, Josiah found the, they found the book of the law, and Jeremiah is alive during this period of time, he's, he's young and just starting during this period of time, and Josiah brings about a great revival. He looks and says, whoa, look at all the things we're not doing right. He had them read the first five books of of the Bible to him, the Pentateuch, which is called the law. And he looked at it and he heard it and said, "Uh, we're in trouble. God God has every right to destroy us because of how bad we are. And he humbled himself and repented. And then he gathered all the people, if you remember, gathered them all together, read the book of a lot of them, and they repented, at least outwardly. We have all of this going on. And this whole idea of being made bald We see it mentioned in various places. Micah 1.16, Isaiah 22.12, Ezekiel 7.18, Isaiah 3.21. So this is something that the Israelites have been doing a lot. But this was cutting their body, cutting their hair. uh, uh, And you know, it's very funny as we look around at what's going on in our world today. What's going on with our world today? Cutting. Shaping hair and crazy styles and stuff now everything that God said not to do we're starting to see again We're starting to see the rise of all the the idols that were have been taken away So it's very interesting when we look around and saying wow, we're doing just what the Jews did We're abandoning God and going back to the idols We're going back to all these different ways of doing things that aren't God's way And then we will wonder why the judgments of God are falling on us. And it's sad to see, but it is what is happening. And this is why we keep saying there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that's going on in America has happened before. Now, we had a long stretch where we were fairly a godly, you know, mostly a godly country. But in the 1800s, we started sliding, and we have been sliding down ever since. And we're starting to see the culmination of that sliding down in today's world where there are people who don't know anything at all about God and his word. It's funny when you talk to somebody and you ask them, well, do you know anything about Job? Do you know anything about Noah? The guys that we talk about in church all the time, and I'm going, I have no idea who you're talking about. Well, do you know Adam and Eve? Well, not really. This is a crazy world we live in where there is almost zero biblical understanding. It takes us back to the church when it first started and the church, the Christian church turned Rome upside down because Rome didn't know anything about the stories of Adam and Eve and and Noah and Daniel and, and King David. They didn't know those stories. And we are returning back to those days where we're at. And this is just the cycle of what's going on. And then people wonder, well, why is America going through the hassles it's going through? Why is Europe? Europe is ahead of the curve on us because they... Christian long before America was and they have turned their back completely on on God and they're falling apart and we're seeing it everywhere we turn around people are turning their back on God and they're gonna wonder why do we have droughts why do we have these crazy weathers why do we have tornadoes why do we have earthquakes why do we have floods you know all the things that God says was going to happen now we have this scientific reason. It's climate change. Man's causing problems. No. Well, yeah, man is causing problems, but not quite the problem they think. We are causing problems by our sin and God is bringing judgments upon this world. And when as long as we don't recognize it, people won't turn. And it's not uncommon. This is what happened. We see it all through Jeremiah. The people going, "Why are you bringing all this bad news? We're not that bad." All right. Hosea had the same thing. He's preaching to the northern kingdom. You guys are sitting and you're doing, "What's wrong with you? You're just jealous. We've got, you know, prosperity's running rampant and you know, we have all these good things. Would you just shut up and go home and quit telling us about God bringing judgment?" And then judgment fell. And God's judgment falls quickly when it when it comes, and we see it all through the scriptures. How quick God changes a nation who thinks that everything's going fine to being fallen. Babylon falls in a night. They fall in a night. They were partying and having a celebration as they were being conquered. Now, if you read Daniel in the handwriting on the wall, they were surrounded by the enemy and they were partying and having a great time as the enemy came under the wall and conquered them in one night and they fell. And they thought they were everything was going good. And we see it over and over in the scriptures where, where people are thinking everything is going good and God's judgment falls, almost instantaneous. And we see it, and unfortunately, it's gonna happen in our world. But when things change, it's gonna change quickly because I think we're at the end days. I think the Antichrist is gonna show up very soon And when he does, everything's going to fall apart. Except, you know, or look like it fell apart. I'm glad we'll be gone. Now, we might be the reason for everything falling apart. When millions of people disappear, it's going to cause a panic. And that's going to be a big panic. You know, you lose and, you know, they got upset when COVID, when hundreds of thousands of people died, you know, a million people around the entire world you have millions upon millions of people taken from this world in a, in a blink of an eye. What kind of panic will there be? Key positions, key jobs, no longer there. You know, I work out at the prison, and I and I know if one prisoner isn't where they're supposed to be when they count, it's a major problem. You know, they they will lock down. They will you know do uh, building by building searches. They'll send crews on the. They'll add extra perimeters and be doing perimeters to make sure nobody is out further on. And it becomes a pain. There's a lot of Christians in that prison. When the rapture comes, it's going to be a panic in a prison. There's going to be panic in in businesses when the lave operator disappears. The first guy in the line disappears. The last guy in the line disappears. And brothers or sisters disappear. And I think about, you know, maybe self-driving cars will make things easier for the the carnage on the highways but but I've always thought you know when you drove a stick you know your car was going to stop pretty quick if you di- if you didn't were it behind the wheel but you drive an automatic that car keeps going until it hits something especially if you're on cruise control like my car always is well who knows where my car will end up I'll be gone and my car will just keep going down the road at, but this is going to be a chaos that the attack will come up and say I can fix it I can fix the problems And our world is gearing toward that whole idea. Because if you remember in the middle of COVID, what was the thing you kept hearing over and over? We need a world leader who can solve our problem. And I think we're going to start hearing that more and more with each problem that comes up. We need a world leader that can solve our problem. We're having economies fall. We need a world leader that can solve our economy problems. We need a leader who can can get us into in control we're going to hear that more and more as the refrain comes up which just proves to us that we're at that end time now the last time this world had a world leader it was a terrible situation that was Nimrod in the Tower of Babel you know, that was a really wonderful wonderful time for the world as he enslaved the people to build that tower they weren't volunteers they were slaves that he'd treated as slaves, even though they were his, his uh, nation. So this is what happens when a world leader consolidates all the power under themselves. It's not a good situation. And that's what happened in the past. And people don't think about it. They don't look at it. They go, well, maybe we'll have a good world leader. Well, the only good world leader will be Jesus because he is God and he will be a benevolent leader which means he'll care for all the people under him and take care of them. Most people, when they get power, become malevolent and, and evil. And that's what we see. Every time we see a great leader come up, and they end up being bad more often than good. And if they're not bad when they first start taking over, the power corrupts them. And we see it in our politicians. You know, We elect these guys. They're good for the first year or two. And then they get a little bit of power under their belt, and they start getting hungry for more. And you watch them deteriorate. Uh, And this is a bad thing, but that is what happens in our world. You know, it says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see it over and over. People get something, they become that big shot, think they're special, and that they can do what they want because I am so important. I've got money, I've got wealth, I've got prestige, I've got influence. I can do what I want. And we see it even in Christianity where sometimes pastors will think that they're something because they've got a big church and then they start doing stupid things because they think that somehow they're above what they teach and it's sad but it is that sin nature that drives this whole attitude. Satan, head of the, head of the angelic choirs and head of all the angels, wasn't happy with his position. He wanted to be like God. God, I'm not happy being second fiddle to you. You know, I am top angel, but I don't want to be top angel. I want to be just like you. And unfortunately, people do the same thing. God, I don't, I'm not happy being down here amongst all these people. I want, to be, I want to be worshiped. And this is the problem that happens. And this is what's going to happen in this type of situation. And then it says, Neither shall they tear themselves for their mourning to comfort them for the dead neither shall they give them the cup of con- consolation to drink for their fathers and their for or for their mother so this idea of tearing themselves literally is breaking bread having having a, a feast of lament and you know we look at it as churches will gather together and you know have a fellowship after after a funeral service uh, what's the word that I'm looking for um, Wake. Many places will have this wake where everybody just feeds and feasts, and you know, for, for some, when it's not a Christian one, it's a chance to get drunk and try to forget everything and lose your, lose your, lose your, lose your feelings completely. I would be the, Irish. <laughs> the Irish wake. But he's saying, you shall not have these wakes. You shall not have mornings. You shall not uh, comfort them for their dead. You shall not. I give them the cup of of consolation, the idea of drinking yourself silly. (laughs) Uh, And this has been something that has been out there forever. People, when they have problems, will oftentimes try to medicate themselves with alcohol and drugs. Uh, And this is not a good thing to do, but it has been done for many, many millennia. (laughs) Because that is what men, does. When Noah gets off the ark, you know, he builds, he creates a vineyard. And what's the first thing he does when he gets his vineyard? He creates wine and gets drunk. And I, and when I looked at that, I go, I think I understand part of what he was looking at. He's looking at a world that had millions and millions of people, if not trillions of people, well advanced with civilizations all around him. And now everywhere he looks, there's nothing but devastation and there's eight people alive. I think that would be a very hard thing to have understood and taken care of. God, we built this great big boat, we could have had so many people in it, and now there's only eight people. Look at all the people that have died. And I understand probably where he was coming from. Never wanted to get drunk, but I can understand why he, why he probably did what he did because it was so devastating. To, to look out and say, it's just me and my family. Everybody he knew was no longer alive. No civil, the civilization he knew was no longer there. All the buildings, all the cities, all the towns. And you look over that it's not like it had been blown up and there was ruins everywhere. It had been buried by water and was gone. A big flood wipes out all signs. Lost everything except whatever he put on the ark. Then he says in verse 8, you shall not also go into the house of feasting and sit with them to drink and eat and drink. So not only the mourners, but the feasters. He says, this is not happening. And we're told in the New Testament that when Jesus returns for his church, it will be like the days of Noah and also the days here where men were given in marriage and feasting and drinking and having parties and everything, and all of a sudden, destruction falls. And even in Jerusalem, these people were having feasts and marriages and doing all these things and enjoying, quote-unquote, life. And Jeremiah said, basically, he had a pretty boring life. He wasn't allowed to go much of any place. Don't go to the morning. Don't go to the feastings. <laughs> you know, he preaches really wonderful news that everybody wants to hear. So he had a hard time. And you know it's kind of interesting at times when we as Christians take a stand, because when we take our stand, people do not like what God says more often than not. When we say that there's consequences for their sin and that God is going to bring judgment, there are so many people who will look at us and say, "You guys are crazy. I'm, I'm enjoying my life." And I've heard that more often than not, "I'm enjoying my life." I, I enjoy getting stupidly drunk all weekend and not knowing what I did all weekend. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. And I'm going, okay, well, maybe right now you are, but there will come a time when you're, you're not going to enjoy that lifestyle. And this is where it's going on in, Mo- in Moses. Jeremiah is saying, being told, don't go to the mourner's house. Don't go to those that are feasting. So he's limited, limited social life. Uh, Going on here. Uh, For thus saith the Lord. The God of Israel. Behold I will cause to cease out of this place. In your eyes. And in your days. The voice of mirth. The voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom. And the voice of the bride. He says all celebrations. Are going to go away. In your day. Now in Jeremiah was told. You're going to be alive. When you see all of the joy. Leave this city. And when they're surrounded and they're suffering, joy disappears. And he is going to see all of this going on and know that God said that it was going to happen. This is the great news for us. When we read God's word, we know what's going to happen to a degree. We may not know a timeline, but we know what's going to happen. The Antichrist is coming, and the world is going to fall apart so that he can take over and say, hey, I'm your Savior. I, I'm I'm the one and hey Jews I am want to get you your temple so so trust me because I'm the Messiah and they're not going to open their Bibles and say well did, were you born in Bethlehem did you were you born of a virgin were you you know all these things they're not going to look and say well did you come out of Egypt were you born born in Bethlehem they're not going to follow that they're just going to look and say hey he's given us what we want he's our savior he's the Messiah and they're not going to compare their scriptures because most of the Jews don't know their scriptures, unfortunately. Uh, and so they're not going to be looking at them. Verse 10, They shall come to pass when you, when you shall show this people all the words and they shall say unto you, Wherefore has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our con- iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, and you have walked after and have walked after other gods and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, you walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me, wherefore I will cast you out of this land and into the land that you know not, neither you nor your fathers that were. And there shall you serve other gods night and day, where I will not show you favor. So he's telling them, God has pronounced this evil on you. Judgment is coming. And their question is, why? What have we done? (laughs) What is it that we have done that is so bad? We live here in Jerusalem. There's a temple. of God's temple is right here in our town. and, And we are his children. And we... We love him, and well, we love other gods too, but that's beside the point. We love him as his temple's there, and they're going to be asking, what have we done? What is our iniquity? Why is God mad at us? Don't we hear those same statements in today's world? God's bringing judgment. Why would he bring judgment on us? I mean, look how good we are. Look how, look how righteous we are. We care about all these other gods and, and things. You know, we're, we're a really good people. We do what we think is right, and why would God judge us? And we hear that in our day and age, and the same words were being spoken by the children of Israel in, in, Jer- in Jer- Jeremiah's day. You know, what, why, why has God done this? What, what, what evil have we done? What, you know, what is our iniquity? What is our sin? Why, why would God judge us? We're just trying to be nice to everybody, no matter who they are and what sin they commit. We're going to be nice to them. We're not going to tell them it's a sin. We're just going to be real nice to everybody. Why? How could God be against that? Well, God's against sin. And we need to be able to understand that we need to stand for God and be following Him. And the children of Israel are saying the same thing. What's wrong with you, Jeremiah? You know, hey, we're just loving everybody and, and enjoying uh, you know, homosexuality and transgenderism. Who are you to judge us? We're just doing what feels good to us. We're worshiping these other gods. And who are you to tell us that God is not not going to like what we're doing? Same things we hear in today's world. We're all good. We're all, we're all the same. And you know we're not, we're not hurting anybody with what we're doing. So just leave us alone. And that's what was being said at this time. And then he says, and this is what you're saying. Because your fathers have forsaken me. So this is going back to Ammon and... Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin, uh, because your fathers have abandoned me, forsaken me, this judgment's coming. Now, immediately, that would get the priest and the, and, the, and the rabbis going, hold it, God doesn't judge the kids for their father's crimes, and then he goes on further. And he goes, your fathers deserved it, and then and you have done worse than your fathers. Okay, Your fathers were bad, and they're the reason that this has all fallen, down, fallen on you. Remember, Josiah, when the word of God was read to him, said, we deserve to be punished, and he humbled himself before God. And God told him, because you humbled yourself before me, it will not be destroyed in your day. It will be destroyed in the future. Now, it's going to be four kings later after Josiah, but it will be destroyed as each one of those kings forsake God more and more. Josiah was the last good king of Judah. And each one got progressively worse after that. And it says, your fathers have been, and you are worse than your fathers. Now, we've talked about this at various points. Usually each progressive generation without God stepping in and making mercy gets worse than the previous generation. The, the father is an alcoholic, the grandfather is an alcoholic, the father becomes an alcoholic and usually drinks more than the, the grandfather does. And then the grandson ends up outdoing all of them. And the great-grandson probably even worse. Same thing with thievery and, and sexual deviance and all the things. Each generation progressively gets worse. And part of that is learned. You know, when you talk to people and you go, why do you live the way you, you do? What do you mean? It's normal. You know, I have actually met people in this town even in other places that think that their lifestyle is normal because that is what mom and dad did, that is what grandma and grandpa did, and great grandma and great grandpa did. You know, hey, we all they all stole, that's just part of life. Everybody steals. And you keep moving down the line and they get worse and, and worse with their stealing. They get worse and worse with their drugs and their alcohol, because that is the only life they know without God stepping in and saying We're going to change your life. Now, every once in a while, somebody will not be bad when the rest of the family is bad or they will be a bad person come out of a good family. But over and all, it runs in in families. And this is what he says. You are worse than your fathers. And he could go back and say, at this point, you know, four generations. Four generations, and you guys are getting worse than each one of the previous generations. Now, that gets bad. That gets bad. And it's not just one or two people. It is the nation. Now, not every single person in the nation is evil and bad. Don't get me wrong. But the majority of them are. And we're starting to see it in our generation. Christians are not doing a good job raising their children to follow Christ. And we are losing each more people in each generation. And I've heard stupid comments like, well, I want them to make their own choice, so I'm going to let them grow up and be in hell, hellions, and maybe they'll make a choice for God later on. Yeah, you know, what a stupid idea. What sex they are. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to let you go to hell you know, because that's what you want to do, and I'm not going to tell you you're headed to hell. That, that doesn't compute with me. And it makes me wonder, do people really understand God in the first place? If they're going to let their children make those kind of decisions, do they really know who God is? Are they really Christians to begin with? Do they really believe that they have been saved from anything? You know, and you know, there's an old joke you know, that lots, lots of guys will go, I had a drug, I had a drug problem growing up. My parents drugged me to church on every, every service. My kids had that problem. You know, I wanted to go to church. My dad didn't have to drag me to church. I was ready to go, and my brother and sister didn't want to go as much. But but my kids sometimes go. Well, I don't want to go to church. Well, I go. I don't care. <laughs> you're going to church, but I don't want to. Doesn't matter. You're going to church. As long as you're living in this house, you go to church. And you know, and that's the way my dad was. If we had visitors. You know, we had family visiting us. Visitors were going to church. If you don't want to go to church, that's fine. You don't have to go to church with us, but you're also not staying in the house while we're gone for the next two hours. You know, and I get so many people that say, well, I couldn't come to church because I had family coming. I have a problem with that. Your family doesn't know you're a Christian? They don't know that you're going to go to church? <laughs> you know, uh, just because that's the way I was raised. It was, you go to church. Period. End of story, you you go to church. And here he's saying the same thing. He says they're going to keep getting worse. And verse 12 says, And you have done worse than your fathers. And behold, you walk every man after the imagination of his evil heart. The stubbornness, the hardness. What can they imagine? And it's kind of sad when you start looking around and talking to people and finding out just how hard their hearts are. And how bad their imaginations are. We're going to be told later on in the book that every imagination of the heart is evil. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And here he's saying, you are living according to the imaginations of your heart. Giving free reign to everything that goes on. And this is a sad place for people to be. Well, I am strong enough. I'm going to take what I want. It really is the end game of evolution. If I'm stronger than everybody else, I have the right to take whatever I want. And if they're not strong enough to, to keep it, then it's their problem. This is what is going to happen during the tribulation period. The strong are going to take everything, and the weak are going to be made into slaves for the strong. And this is going to be a problem, and this is the problem there. He's saying you're living according to your own imaginations. You're abusing those who are weak because you're strong. Or you are being abused because you are weak. And then they get bitter because they're being abused. And all these things that go on. And it says, and they will not hearken unto me. God says, you're, you're very, very bad and you are not listening. You are not humbling yourself. You are not bowing your knee before God. Huge problems going on. And then it says, therefore, I will cast you out of this land into a land that you know not. Where you nor your fathers and there shall you serve other gods night and day where where I will not show you favor. They are going to go to Babylon. Babylon just had a few gods in it, a hundred or so. And he says, you will serve these gods. You will serve these people that are worshiping other gods because of your disobedience to me and before they come back into the land and it says you're going someplace that you have never been because they were used to the Philistines and the Edomites and the Ammonites and and the uh, Syrians and all of that they knew those ones But this time they were going to be taken across the Euphrates Into a country that they did not know they did not know the language they did not know the customs At least in the Middle East, their their customs were all very similar. They knew what to expect. Even though there was an enemy conquering them, they knew what to expect. When they went into Babylon, everything was different. Totally different government form than they were used to. Everything was going to be completely different for them. And they were going to be taken in a place where their language was very different. Because in the Middle East, they all spoke basically forms of Aramaic. They spoke Hebrew, but the other Aramaic places all spoke a language that was similar. They're going to go to Babylon. And the Babylonian language is quite different from the Aramaic they're used to. Similar in some ways, but very different. And they're going to suffer. And God says, this is what you're going to do. You are going to go. You're going to serve these other gods, and I will not show you favor. I am not going to bless you in that land. And this is going to be what they go through for 70 years, that they get put into captivity for 70 years, and God says, "I'm not showing you, I'm not showing you favor." Now we know that this isn't 100% for every single person, because David gets a lot of, uh, Daniel gets a lot of favor, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get a lot of favor. People who are worshiping God will see God's mercy, but as a nation, there is no favor. And this is something if you look through history. When Israel is blessed, the nations that bless them are blessed. And we can look at America. There have been times when we have blessed Israel over these years that they've been there. And there have been times when we have not blessed them. And you can correlate it, bad things in America to the times that we have not been kind to Israel. And you can correlate those times when we have been good friends with Israel and see the blessings on this nation. And you can see the ebb and flow by what, how is America treating Israel. Why? Because God says, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And it was an unconditional blessing. When we say we're going to be blessed for blessing Israel, that does not mean Israel deserves it. It just means God made a promise that if you bless Israel, you will bless; you will be blessed. If you curse Israel, you will be cursed. And we can watch our country's economic and weather and everything else almost directly matching how are we treating Israel. They're going to go into captivity and God says, for a period of time, I'm not showing you mercy. I'm not showing you favor. We're not going to care if they bless or curse you at this point because you have gone so far that judgment falls. Now God's going to bring them back. He's going to bring them back in 70 years. He's going to move on Cyrus's heart and say, well, see, here's your name in scripture that you're going to send my people home. And he sends them home. He pays for the temple and the rebuilding of the temple and and supplies them. But God blesses at a period of time. And so we see this happening. Do we reject God and his people or do we bless God and his people? And this is critical. Uh, you know, this is critical even of us as Christians. I do not ever want to criticize another church. Now, if they're blatantly teaching, you know, uh, Bad doctrine and everything I might mention, stay away from that church. But I'm not going to attack a church. I'm not going to attack a pastor. If I disagree with the pastor, that's between him and God because it's his church. But we need to understand that God is fully able to defend himself. Now, he doesn't need us running around defending him, but he does want us honoring him and supporting him and saying, This is what God says. And this is why it's important for us in our country to stand up and say, This is what God says. Government, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is sin. And if you continue in that sin, this country is gonna be destroyed. Now we know it's gonna be destroyed eventually. I would like to see another revival first. I'd like to live out my life in in freedom. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I'd like to see it. But at the same token, I'm ready to suffer because God is in charge and I know that what's going on demands judgment. Without a great revival, our nation cannot stand with the direction it's going into. And unfortunately, I think it's crossed the line because historically, homosexuality and transgenderism is the line that brings down a nation and an empire. And I think we've crossed that line and the world has crossed that line, which I think we're toward the end of our days and looking at God's return. I hope I'm wrong, but. I don't think I am historically. All right, we're gonna end here. Lord, we ask you to guide and lead us. Help us to stand for you. Help us to understand that when judgment falls, it is deserved and that you have a plan even for that judgment to call people to you. And we thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says,